Open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's start reading in verse 1. I want to speak to you tonight on the purpose of the Lord's Supper. The purpose of the Lord's Supper. The Bible says in verse 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. And keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this ordinance of the Lord's table. Please help us to understand it. Help us to be obedient. Help us to be submissive to you. And Father, help us to understand that your way is best. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says in verse 2, he says, Now I praise you, brethren, that ye keep me in, that you remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. So if we're going to keep the ordinances in a specific way, that means it's possible to not keep the ordinances in a specific way. Well, what are the ordinances? The ordinances are baptism and the Lord's Supper. And of course, baptism always precedes the Lord's Supper in the Word of God. And that's the way that it is always uh, recorded. I'm going to read something to you from um, probably one of the greatest books ever written um, called Why Baptist by James Alter Dalton Roberts. Um, was that shameless self-promotion? Yes. Let me read to you what we have on the Lord's Supper. Baptists generally refer to this ordinance as the Lord's Supper rather than communion. The word communion in relation to the Lord's Supper occurs only in 1 Corinthians 10, 16. So let's look at that. 1 Corinthians 10, 16. The Bible says, The cup of blessing, which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? This is the only place. Look at what it says. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? This is where it's called communion. And notice who it is communion with. It's not communion with each other. It's communion with the Lord. Is that right? And so that's why Baptists generally call it the Lord's Supper. Um, in the Protestant denominations, you have First Communion. How many of you did a First Communion in a, in a Protestant church or Catholic church? First Communion. That was a big deal, wasn't it? How old are you when you do your First Communion? Second grade. Okay, so that age would be different depending on the... Uh, Individual. For you, it was like 16, Carrie? Is that right? Um, and so, when you have this, the, 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 the word excommunicated, excommunicated, that means you're removed from membership in the church, you're not allowed to take communion. That's what that's talking about. Now, the reason that that becomes so significant in a Roman Catholic situation is because they believe if you don't do that, you can't go to heaven. So when a person's excommunicated, they're removing their salvation. Now, does anyone on earth, in heaven, or under the earth, have the authority to take away your salvation? Isn't that a blessing? Isn't that wonderful? So obviously, that's not the teaching of a New Testament church. So when we talk about communion, we call it the Lord's Supper, because it is the supper that the Lord instituted at His last supper with His disciples, before his crucifixion. And of course, we know that he ate with them again. Remember, he came to them and he said, have you any meat after his resurrection, after he had ascended to his father? 
but his last supper before his resurrection, before his crucifixion, he instituted the Lord's Supper, and that's why we call it that. Um, here, the communion is our commemorating Christ's shed blood and broken body. Observing the Lord's Supper is not my communing with other believers around the Lord's table. The purpose of this ordinance is singular. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show, you do, you do show the Lord's death till He come. That's what we're doing. We're showing the Lord's death till He comes. In observing the Lord's Supper, we preach Christ's sacrifice for our sins until His return. Communion has come to mean fellowship, interaction with one another. This is not the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Believers, baptized or not, church members or not, Baptist or not, may have fellowship or communion in many ways, but not at the Lord's table. The Lord's table is only for born-again, baptized members of a local New Testament church. Let me give you some examples of that that are interesting to me. Think about when Jesus Christ instituted the Lord's Supper. Who did He institute the Lord's Supper with? His disciples. And only those twelve. You say, well, wait a minute. One of them was Judas. Yeah, but Judas left before that. So when he had the Lord's Supper, it wasn't with all of the followers of Christ. It was when he instituted the Lord's Supper, he demonstrated that it was a special event for those united in fellowship. And there's no doubt that was the order of that ordinance. Um, the other thing that, that is interesting, I read a book by, a little booklet by I.M. Haldeman called The Order of the Ordinances. The Order of the Ordinances. And Haldeman pointed out that nowhere in Scripture is the Lord's Supper taken before baptism. Nowhere. When the thief on the, was on the cross with Jesus Christ, what, he had, what did he have to do? Just had to believe. He just had to believe. Was he, did he have the opportunity to be baptized? Did he have the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper? No. We have another illustration of the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember in uh, Acts chapter 8, Philip is taken by the Holy Spirit and drawn to this man from Ethiopia. He had been worshiping in Jerusalem. He's reading the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. And Philip goes to him and he says to him, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, unless some man show me? And so beginning at that scripture, he preached Christ unto him. And then when the eunuch received Christ, he said, here's a cup. Why don't I take communion? What did he say? Here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? When um, Paul and Silas are in Philippi and they're in the jail and they're singing and praising God while they're in their bonds and God sends an earthquake and loosens their bonds. And the Philippian jailer comes running in and he's going to kill himself because his prisoners have escaped. And Paul says to him, do thyself no harm, we're all here. And so he says, he falls at his feet, at their feet, and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he said, believe in thine heart and thou shalt be saved. Is that right? So he took him to his house. And he bathed their wounds, and Paul preached the gospel to the family, and the jailer and his whole house are saved and baptized. No mention of the Lord's Supper. 
when Cornelius is saved. When Paul is saved and God sends him, Saul is saved and God sends him to a street that's called Straight in Damascus to, to meet with, that, with a faithful worker there. What did he do? He baptized him. He baptized him. Baptism always precedes the Lord's Supper. Always, always, always. And baptism is the entrance to the New Testament church. You see, when you get saved, you're baptized by the Spirit of God into the body of Christ. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Now, this is what happens when we are saved. We're baptized by the Holy Spirit of God into Christ Jesus. Amen? Um, I was in a discussion with a pastor in Iowa um, who doesn't believe in the body of Christ. He only believes in the local New Testament church. And I asked him, I said, where is Christ's body right now? And he said, well, it's the church. I said, so it was the New Testament church that was nailed to the cross. It was the New Testament church that went into the tomb. It was the New Testament church that walked out of the tomb victorious. It was a New Testament church that ascended into heaven. And it's a New Testament church that's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he said, well, no. And I said, so let me ask you again, where is the body of Christ? Well, what do you want me to say? I want you to answer the question. Where is the body of Christ, because the Bible says in Ephesians and in Colossians that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Amen? Aren't you glad right now? How many of you are saved? You know for sure that you're born again. Do you know that you're seated with Christ in heaven right now? You are in Jesus Christ in heaven right now. That's your security. That's our hope. That is a present reality. That's not something that might come to pass. That is our present position. What a blessing that is. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? So I, I asked him, says, where is Christ's body? The Bible says that we are in Christ and we are seated with Christ in heavenly places and Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father. So where is the body of Christ? He goes, well, what do you want me to say? I want you to answer the question. And he said, well, I suppose you're, you want me to say the body of Christ is in heaven. No, I want you to say what the Bible says. And he starts hemming and hawing around. And I said to him, I said, brother, when you have a position that doesn't allow you to use the English language to explain it, maybe you need another position. Well, they had a Bible conference at his church and our, our church planter Adam Pierce went to the meeting. And this was at this man's church that I was having the conversation with. Another pastor from, I think, Wisconsin came in and preached that heavenly places is the local church. Now, I like this church, but don't you hope heaven's a whole lot better than this? <laughs> Amen? Well, the Bible says very clearly, that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places when we're saved. Isn't that wonderful? How does that happen? We get saved. When we get saved, we are baptized by the Holy Spirit into Jesus Christ. That is, we are completely immersed in Him. That's what Ephesians is all about. Go through the book of Ephesians sometime and mark in Him, in Christ, in Him, 
in Him, in Him. All of the blessings that are promised to the believer in, a fee, in the book of Ephesians, it's because we're in Christ, because the blessings go to Christ. We get them because we're in Him. It's wonderful. So the only way to get into the body of Christ is by being baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ, and that takes place at the moment of our salvation. Praise God. Isn't that wonderful? So then how do you become a member of a local church? The same way you became a member of the church which is His body, through baptism. That's how you become a member, through baptism. I had a pastor call me one time, and he said, Jim, and this guy taught at Baptist Bible College, been a pastor for 25 years, and he called me and he said, Jim, can I baptize someone and them not become a member of my church? And I remember, it really threw me off. It's like someone asking you, why is water wet? Well, why are holes empty? Baptism is church membership. That's what it is. So I said no, and then I explained to him that baptism requires the proper candidate, a saved person. It requires the proper administration, the New Testament church. And it requires the proper mode, and that's immersion. Being immersed, being put under the water. And then baptism, it means three things. It's obedience, identification, and submission. It's obedience to our Lord's command. Because He told us to be baptized and to go into all the world and baptize, preach the gospel, baptize, make disciples. It's obedience to our Lord's command. It's obedience to our Lord's example. Amen? Baptism is obedience. Baptism is also identification. It's identification. Uh, when people were baptized in the, New or in the early part of the New Testament, they would be asked this, whose baptism did you receive? Well, I, I have John's baptism. What were they identifying with? They were identifying with John's message. When Jesus Christ got to Galilee, the first thing that he did was he sought out John the Baptist. And he said, I want you to baptize me. And John said, no, no, I need you to baptize me. And Jesus said, let it be so. Because I must fulfill all righteousness. Well, according to Mark chapter 1 and verse 3, John's baptism was the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. What sins did Jesus Christ need to repent of? What sins did Jesus need to have remitted? Well, then why was he baptized? Because he was identifying with John's message and he was being obedient. He had to fulfill all righteousness. And righteousness for the person in this age is to be baptized. And Jesus Christ set the example for us and identified with John's message. What was John's message? Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. John's message was the Messiah is here. Come back to Judaism. All of you Jews, come back. Look for your Messiah. He's here. That was John's message. Baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Jesus Christ identified with that message. At Jesus Christ's baptism, the Holy Spirit descended from heaven and identified with the Son at His baptism. God the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God the Father identified with the Son at His baptism. So baptism is obedience. It's obedience to our Lord's command and it's obedience to His example. It is identification. It's identification with... Listen. It's identification with a message. Jesus was identifying with John's message. 
And it's also identification with a local New Testament church. It identifies you with that New Testament church. Go to Acts chapter 2. We're identifying in our baptism with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're identifying with His death, burial, and resurrection. Look at verse 41. Then they that gladly received His word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Added unto who? The church at Jerusalem. They were added unto that church. Baptism, baptism is a prerequisite to church membership. And baptism makes you a church member. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. While you're turning there, baptism is identification. It identifies you with the Lord Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection. Romans chapter 6 says, buried in the likeness of His death, raised to walk in newness of life. Our baptism pictures Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It identifies with Christ in His baptism and Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. But it also identifies you with the body of doctrine. It identifies you with the body of doctrine. Keep 1 Corinthians 14. Before you go there, go to Acts chapter 19. Verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Remember what the Bible says, If any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Is that right? Now look at what the Bible says. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? Now look up here with me a second. The question is not, Were you baptized for salvation? Baptism is a picture of your salvation. Well, if you haven't believed, if, if you've not even heard about the Holy Spirit, what were you baptized unto? Very simple question, right? And look at what they say. Look at their answer. And they said unto John's baptism. So what does Paul do? Then Paul, then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance saying unto the people that they should believe on Him which should come after Him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Notice the order. Notice the word order. Who do we believe on? The Lord Jesus Christ. Who did Paul tell them to believe on? Or who did John tell them to believe on? Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. Your Messiah is here offering you the kingdom. Now, look at the distinction that Paul makes. Then Paul, then said Paul, verse 4, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on Him which should come after Him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized, baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, they were, they were not accepting a Jewish Messiah they were accepting the crucified Christ, the resurrected Christ, the one who had demonstrated that He is the Lord of glory. And so then what happens? When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. What is this? This rebaptism. Can you imagine telling somebody? I've had people say to me many times, you're saying my baptism isn't good enough? Paul said John the Baptist's baptism wasn't good enough. How about that? 
I have, I have written down here, these are Anabaptists. You see, baptism identifies you with the body of doctrine. It identifies you with the New Testament church, and it identifies you with the doctrine that that church teaches. And so that's why if you've come from a church that believes that you can lose your salvation, to be a member of Grace Baptist Church, you'll have to be baptized, identifying with right doctrine, which is eternal security. If you come from a church that would receive people into membership who had been sprinkled as babies, you would have to be rebaptized to be a member of Grace Baptist Church because that's false doctrine. Baptism can't precede salvation. Remember what Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1? Let's go there. Have you noticed how much we've been in 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians is God's book of divine order. Uh, hold 14 because we're going to go there and see that. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Baptism cannot precede salvation. Look at verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. How about that? Why didn't he send the apostle Paul to baptize? Isn't that interesting? Because Paul wasn't a pastor. Paul was an apostle and an evangelist. He was planting churches. Then he sent Titus to ordain elders in every city as he had appointed. And those pastors baptized. Isn't that a blessing? It's so wonderful to see God's order. God's order. But notice the order here. Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. What does that mean? That baptism is not a part of the gospel. Isn't that wonderful? So if you come from a church that says you have to be baptized to be saved, you'd have to be baptized scripturally at Grace Baptist Church to be a member of Grace Baptist Church. It's just that's, that's simply the teaching of Scripture. Baptism is identification. It identifies you with the Lord Jesus Christ and His baptism. It identifies you with the Lord Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection. It identifies you with a body of doctrine, and it identifies you with a New Testament church and the doctrine of that church. And baptism is also submission. Baptism is also submission. Most of the time when the word baptism is used, you would say this, they have submitted to the Lord in believer's baptism. We would submit to the Lord in believer's baptism. Baptism is you submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. It's you submitting to the other believers in that church for accountability. And it's you submitting to that pastor as your authority in the Word of God in that place. And that's demonstrated by you putting your life in your hands, or in your life in His hands when He baptizes you. You will never be in a more helpless position then when I'm holding your nose and your face under the water, be nice to me. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Baptism is submission. It's obedience, identification, and submission. It requires the proper candidate. It requires the proper administration. And it requires the proper mode. That's baptism. Do you see how all of that is a prerequisite to the Lord's table? It has to be. It must be. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Look at verse 40. Let all things be done decently and in order. The book of 1 Corinthians is God's book of divine order. He deals with salvation. He deals with baptism. And then he deals with the Lord's Supper. Now, 
Before he deals with the administration of the Lord's Supper in chapter 11, look what he deals with in chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You all having a good time tonight? Isn't God's Word wonderful? People say doctrine's boring. I don't think doctrine's boring. Unless the deliverer is boring. Look at verse 1. It is commonly reported that there is fornication among you. Can you imagine that being said about Grace Baptist Church? It is commonly reported that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Mourned. The church was supposed to be mourning because one of their members was committing adultery, fornication, with his father's wife. The church was supposed to be mourning for that, praying that that person would be removed from their membership from among them. Look at what the Bible says. Verse 3. For verily, or for I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. Judge not, lest you be judged. Apparently, people have taken that out of context, right? The apostle already judged this. Look what the Bible says. Verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when the Holy Spirit of God inspires that, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think something important is coming after that? Look at what's coming. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, look at what you're supposed to do. To deliver such in one unto Satan, for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. What are you supposed to do? So let me just ask you a simple question. Is the Bible telling you to kill him? No. No. You're going to deliver him unto Satan for the destruction of the body, that the spirit may be saved in the day of Christ. What is so wonderful about the Word of God is whenever there's the potential for abuse, God clears it up right in the context. This person can't lose their salvation. But man, they can bear the results of their sin in their body on this earth. How many of you can attest to that? I think of all the time wasted playing basketball when I was young. My feet. My feet remind me of that every day. Isn't that interesting? The decisions that we make when we're young. I decided to go skiing and blew out my ACL, MCL, meniscus. They had a complete knee reconstruction, nerve damage. It's never been right. My leg's about this big. What am I doing? I'm bearing in my body the results of the decision to go skiing. Laura hadn't, had, had, hadn't wanted me to do that. She didn't talk to me for about three weeks after that. She was a horrible nurse, just terrible. But what happened? My body was influenced by my behavior. And I will deal with that for the rest of my life. Can anybody say amen to that? You, you got something in your life that you did, you know? Dave got shot. Chad Hollinger shot him. Is that how the story goes? Yeah, I think that's the way I remember it. See, we all bear in our bodies the results of decisions that we've made in the past. Is that right? Including our sin. 
including our sin. The Bible says that sin, when it's had its end, brings death for the believer and the unbeliever. Now, we're talking about the death of the body, not the soul. All right? So, according to the Word of God, what we were supposed to do, what the church at Corinth was supposed to do, was take this person and set them outside the body and give them to Satan. That's what the Bible says. Now, either that means they're removed from membership or that means that we take their salvation away. There's only two possibilities. Let's read on. Verse 5 or verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, for ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. For who? Who did Jesus Christ die for? He gave his life for the church. Keep your place here. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. We're coming back to that 1 Corinthians passage. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 25. We'll start in verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ... So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That's for the church. Jesus Christ died for the church. So what he's speaking of, it was the Apostle Paul by inspiration of the Holy Spirit who wrote that. And that is the same person that God is using to write 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So look at what the Bible says. You are an unleavened. What, What is unleavened? The church. There's not corruption in a New Testament church. It's to be pure. Remember what Paul said to the church. He said, I want to present you as a spotless virgin to Christ. Is that right? How does that happen? Let's read on. Therefore, verse 8. Therefore, let us keep the feast. What feast? The Lord's Supper. Therefore. Let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Now, now look, he explains it. It doesn't say don't hang around with fornicators. That's not what the text is saying. The apostle explains it right here. Does everybody have a Bible? Everybody looking at your Bible? Look at what it says. Verse 10. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. Is that clear? He's not saying that you can't keep company with sinners because if that was the case, then you could not be in this world because the world is full of sinners. The world is full of covetous and fornicators and extortioners and idolaters. All right, now look at verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner. With such an one know not 
to eat. Eat what? The feast. The Lord's Supper. The Lord's Table. That means that church membership, being a member of that body, is the prerequisite to the Lord's Table. Because you are to, we are to refuse the Lord's table to a brother that's living in sin. Is that right? So the Bible says it's God's book of divine order. He deals with that before he deals with how to administer the Lord's Supper. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 11 and look at that. Verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, what is that talking about? If you think that, that salvation comes from the Lord's Supper, you are drinking damnation to yourself. Amen? Now, unworthily. None of us are worthy of approaching the Lord's table. None of us are. What gives us access? Salvation, baptism into the New Testament church. Look what the next verse says. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would not judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. Pray for each other. Pray for the purity of the body. That's what this passage is talking about. What is the purpose of the Lord's Supper? It's to show the Lord's death till He come. But it's also to purify the New Testament church. It's to make sure that we are a pure and a holy body. And that's why only New Testament, born again, baptized believers in that New Testament church are allowed to come to the Lord's table. The Bible could not be any clearer. That is the divine order of the Lord's Supper.